Well, good morning again, church. Again, I want to just say thanks for gathering here this morning. Thank you for bringing the church into uh, this place. It's so good to be able to uh, gather with you all, to see your faces. Um, I know you all, everybody here has been through a lot over the past uh, few days. And again, please let us know if there's continuing uh, needs. If you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, we've never been introduced. My name is Jamie. It is my absolute joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here. And it is a great privilege that I have to open up God's word with you all this morning. As we continue this series that we began a few weeks ago, it'll be our fall series leading us all the way to Advent that's called Restore My Soul. And this line comes from the 23rd Psalm. Um, And as you are aware, this is a picture of the Lord as my shepherd, right? The one who guides us, who leads us, all right? He, He leads us to the quiet waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. And so for one, it's a promise we cling to that our souls that so often feel it just this lack of like rest, there's this unease, there's this anxiety, there's these pressures. The Lord is inviting us, come and have your soul restored. But it's also a prayer for us as well that we would cry out, Lord, restore my soul. We feel that in acute ways even this week, Lord, restore my soul. Yes, we may be praying for power to be restored or internet to be re- restored, all right, so that maybe the kids can be occupied for a moment, all right? Uh, but whatever it happens to, to be, the bigger need that we have is that our souls would actually find this rest, this renewal, this restorative work that only Jesus can bring. And so each week what we're doing in this series is we are looking at a particular truth that we need to rest in, that we need to grab a hold of. And so our prayer in each of these weeks, each of these sermons is that a particular truth, yeah, might grip us in new and fresh ways, even if we're exploring something that you're like, yeah, I've heard that before, that God's spirit might work in such a way that reminds you and me of what is ultimately true. Because here's what we also know. We live in this contested space and there are lies that are being preached literally around the clock, every moment of every day, the enemy is at work trying to disciple you into what is not true. And so we wanna have this space to come in and be reminded of what is good and true and beautiful and to find life there. And so this morning, the truth that we're going to dive into is that in Christ, you are loved. And it's not a love that is conditional, it's an unconditional love. And so the lie is that it's conditional. You do this, you perform, you act a certain way, you be impressive, and then maybe you'll earn love, you'll earn affection. But we wanna see this movement by God's spirit that takes us from a place of this conditional love, which is really no love at all, to this unconditional love. And to help us do that this morning, we are gonna look at this amazing text. It is a text here that we could do an entire sermon series on. The goal is not to do an entire sermon series in one sermon, all right, but just to fly over it at a high level and draw out some things in it that I hope will drive this point home, that in Christ you are loved. And so I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at verses three through 14. If you brought a Bible, please turn there app on your phone, however you want to get there. You also can go to cp.church on your phone. Click in the lower right corner. There's that little blue feet next steps icon. If you click that, you'll see something that says sermon notes will come up and that'll take you to the text as well as anything that's up on the slides. But let me set this up. I'll read it here in its entirety and then we'll make our way back through this wonderful text. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this to this church in Ephesus, 
What's so fascinating to know is it is just this gigantic, like run-on sentence, a couple hundred words in the like original language. There's literally no, like it's, it's just one gigantic run-on sentence. It's all the things you would have been critiqued about like in a writing class would have been like, hey, you need to break this up, right? Like Grammarly would have freaked out on you if you're using that, right? Like all of this, this stuff, like, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. And yet Paul, it's as if he cannot contain his excitement He is literally putting before us, as one theologian said, it's this snowball that is going down the mountain and it's picking up steam and it's adding to it. And it's just, there's more and there's more and there's more. Or maybe another way to think about it is this text is like unwrapping one gift after another. My little nephew turned five and we got to celebrate his birthday on Friday and there were the stack of presents and he would tear through the wrapping paper and he would open one and he would be like elated. And then guess what he would do? Ooh, there's more. And he would move on to the next one, right? And then he'd open that one, all right? And then he'd be like, oh, there's another one. And on and on it went. Ephesians 1, in a much more significant way, is just one gift after another. And it is driving home this theme that in Christ, Even that language, as I read this, pay attention to how often Paul says, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. It's over and over and over again, reminding us that what we need to have our souls restored is to remember that our identity is in Christ. It's not how well you perform or keeping up appearances and pretending. The Lord is wanting to free us from that. And the way we get freed from that is by reminding ourselves and being reminded by God, actually, that you are loved You are loved unconditionally. So let me read this, Ephesians chapter one, three to 14. Please follow along. This is God's word for us this morning. Begins this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Perhaps you've seen the film that came out a number of years ago called Wonder. It tells the story of this young boy named Augie uh, Pullman. Um, If you don't know the story, um, let me set it up and explain why this young man is wearing this particular helmet, right? Um, It's not just because he hopes to be an astronaut, though those dreams are are part of it. Um, He is a young man um, that has, by what we would say normal standards, right, has this disfigured face. He doesn't look quote unquote normal. And as you can imagine, as this kid who's grown up and has had multiple procedures, 
to try and correct some of these things, he has felt like an outsider. He has wondered if he is worthy of love. He has felt rejected. He has been mocked. He's been ridiculed. He has dreaded the day that he has to walk into a public school amongst his peers, wondering, will anybody be kind to me or will people mock me? And as the story goes on or the movie goes on, if you've seen this film, one of the things that becomes very clear, very evident early on is that it isn't only Augie, though, that is the one who's trying to cover up. No one else in the film has the facial deformities that he does, but every single person is wearing a mask. Every single person, from friends to parents, people to neighbors, there are aspects of who they are that they, they may be ashamed of, they don't know what to do, and it's really this overall story of all of our desires to be loved, to be cared for, to be loved, to be desired, to be welcomed in. And there's a particularly moving scene where this young boy comes to this spot and it exhibits for us what we get to experience here as we dive into Ephesians 1 or anytime we open up God's word is we need an objective word. We need a word from outside of ourselves because everything within us says it's about performing, pretending, measuring up, having a good appearance, getting people to like you. Like you have to earn people's affection and love. And so there's this scene where he is just, he's angry and he's frustrated and he's crying and he's crying to his mom who's played by Julia Roberts. And in this, this moment, he's, he's just lamenting how he looks, how rejected he feels. And he's like, I'm ugly. And his mom like kind of grabs him by the shoulders and looks into his eyes, right? And it's just like, you are not ugly, Augie. I love you. You're beautiful. And his response is like, yeah, you're supposed to say that. You're my mom, right? And her response to him, though, is this. It's because I'm your mom, it counts the most. Because I know you the most, believe me. And friends, at a far, far deeper, more significant level, what we have in Ephesians chapter one, in these opening verses of this marvelous book, is God giving us a word about objectively, if you're in Christ, here's what is true about you. You may feel like you're ugly. You may feel like you don't measure up. You may have failed miserably. Those things may actually be true, right? You're like, you might be a complete and utter failure by the world standards. But if you are in Christ, there is a love that is lavished upon you, a grace that has been lavished upon you. And our souls, they're gonna be restored, need this objective word. We can't pay attention to our performance what other people say of us. We need God to speak truth to us, over us, into us this morning. At least I know I need that. I forget this all the time. Do you know that you're loved? And so in this unbelievable way, here's what I wanna put before you, sort of the outline for our time together in this text. God's love is seen here in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, not just in present day that we're gonna talk about that. There is a perfect love that he has had for us before time began. So you were loved in your past before you were even created, right? Before you were twinkling your parents' eye, God loved you, all right? Then you are loved perfectly in the present. And guess what? That's gonna carry on. You'll be loved perfectly in the future. You have no reason to doubt or worry. That's how comprehensive, all-consuming the love of God is for you in Christ. 
So let's look at this. Paul begins in verses three to six. He's showcasing for us that we have been loved in the past. So he starts out this way. He says, blessed be the God, God, um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, there's that language, in Christ with every spiritual blessing, the heavenly places. So there's this call to praise. I mean, this is what this whole thing is rooted in. But as we praise and adore God, for it's, we're praising and adoring God for like what he has done and who he is and how we are in him. He has blessed us in Christ. And then this union that we have, the reason Paul keeps saying in him, in the beloved, in Christ, is speaking to this oneness that we have with Jesus. He's saying what is true of Jesus is now your objective reality if you are in him. And the father, let me assure you, he loves his son like crazy. He is so proud of him. This is why the father would speak after Jesus' baptism, right? Behold, my, my son in whom I am well pleased. And those words are true of you and me, regardless of what the last 24 hours, 24 months, 24 years, whatever has been or whatever will be if you're in Christ. And so as I look at this, it's just sort of a high level. There are three words that jump out to me in these verses. We'll look at the first two together. He uses this word that you are chosen, that you are predestined, and that you are adopted, that there's this adoption that we have. Now, you put those words on the screen, and depending on your theological background, all right, some of you might be like chosen, predestined. I just read it. I don't know what those words mean. Some of you might be like, "Uh uh-oh, is this one of those churches that believes this? And some of you are like, oh yeah, do we believe, right? Like, what do we think about, about this, right? Full disclosure, I was a Calvinist cadet growing up, all right? Um, that's a real thing. I'm not making that up, right? Um, and so, uh, and yet, there can be confusion around these things. If you're talking about predestination or election, chosen, Calvinism, Reformed theology, right? Some of you are getting scared right now. Some of you are super excited right now. Listen, this is in here not to cause theological arguments, all right? It is not there for that. It is part of God communicating to you and to me right here, right now, on the heels of what we've just experienced, that you are loved. But I think we need to be reminded of what John Stott says here before we dive into it more fully. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election, predestination, right? And we should be aware of any who try to systematize it too precisely or rigidly. It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains of Christendom for centuries, all right? I'm not in the best brains in all of history, so I'm certainly not gonna untangle this or solve it, right? But he says this, and I think this is key. Election is divine revelation, not human speculation. Like, it's right here in the text, and it's all over the Bible, and we, we can't ignore it, and it is there for a purpose, and if you think that's to be puffed up, we'll deal with that in a moment because it's not, all right? But this language here, so Paul says you have been chosen, all right? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. And yet the problem, I think we should see very quickly, is like, I can't be holy and blameless. So it has to be the initiating love of God the Father. He has to do something. And what he's communicating to us, he says this, in love, he predestined us. It's in love that you were chosen. And so ask yourself this, is this love conditional love or is it unconditional? Well, he's saying, you didn't even exist yet 
Like if you're in Christ, if you're here this morning, your story goes all the way back before and even outside of time that God would say, I choose you. And again, if you're feeling puffed up about that, go read Paul's letter to the church in Corinth where he's like, I chose the most foolish people, all right, so I can showcase the wisdom of God. I chose the powerless so I can showcase God's strength. This is not meant to puff us up. What this is reminding us of is, listen, you and I contributed nothing but our sin. That's it. That this whole story is about God's perfect love for us even before time began. It says when he chose you, when he predestined you, it wasn't because he looked down the portals of time and was like, oh yeah, that person's gonna be really impressive. I really need Jamie on my team. That is not how the story played out. It's rather God looking and saying, this person is not gonna be able to do anything. We cannot be holy and blameless on our own. So God in love predestined us. Predestination, this election, this choosing, it should lead to praise, not pride. We are totally misunderstanding this text and the love of God if it leads us to be puffed up. Oh, look at me, I've been picked by God. God has intervened in such a way that he would look and say, I'm going to pick you because you and I couldn't make it on our own. And so friends, when you're wondering, are you worthy of love? The reality is on our own, no, but God is so gracious and so kind that even before we existed, right? He's like, I have set my affection on you. I've chosen you. Now, is there a mystery in that? Do you have questions about like, how does your, your will and your choice factor in? There are all of the, those things. And we have to hold those things in tension, but we cannot ignore this. You and I will not fully appreciate the love that God has for us if we would ignore this. It is the fact that we've been perfectly loved in the past. John Frame in his book, Salvation belongs to the Lord. One of my seminary professors says this, how precious it is to know that God chose me and you before he even made the world. We were in his mind and on his heart. Think about that. The God of the universe, before this creation ever even was, you were on his mind and on his heart. This week, you are going to doubt at some point that you are loved. You're gonna forget this, right? You're gonna look at what you've just done. Maybe you've messed up yet again. Come back to this truth. You were on the Lord's mind and on his heart. So with the doctrine of election, we know that salvation is all of God. It is his free gift. It really is grace, not something we must work for. Our souls are so beat down and tired because we operate as if it's conditional love. I've gotta perform or at least I gotta pretend it's about what I do. And this text here is just this objective voice saying, you can stop, you can rest. God has set his love and affection upon you. And he says, then the reality of this, Pastor Eric did a whole series on this this summer, even with some of these verses, the fact that we are adopted So he says, in love, the end of verse four, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And that language is so key. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. 
This is not language that is intended to leave out the women who are in Christ. It's rather to say, in that time and in that cultural understanding, it is only the sons who would get an inheritance. And as this text will make clear as we make our way through it, there is an inheritance that is promised, it is guaranteed, it is coming for you. And if you are in Christ, male or female, that is what is your rightful inheritance now because of the work of Christ. So you hear that, you read that, it encourages us. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, I wanna read this quote, it's a little lengthy, but I think it's a good reminder, just driving this point home, that it's not because we were impressive that God set his love upon us. He says this, a man, when he adopts a child, sometimes is moved thereto by the extraordinary beauty or at other times by its intelligent manners and winning disposition. Some of you have that on your, your uh, business card, right? But anyway, but beloved, when God passed by the field in which we were lying, he saw no tears in our eyes till he put them there himself. He saw no, no contrition in us until he had given us repentance. There was no beauty in us that could induce him to adopt us. On the contrary, we were everything that was repulsive. And if he had said when he passed by, thou art cursed, be lost forever, it would have been nothing but what we might have expected from a God who had been so long provoked and whose majesty had been so terribly insulted. But no, he found a rebellious child, a filthy, frightful, ugly child, and he took it to his bosom. And he said, unworthy thou art, yet I cover thee with his robe. That's with the righteousness of Christ. And in thy brother's garments, I accept thee. And taking us all unholy and unclean, just as we were, he took us to be his, his children, his forever. Friends, that is the love that God has for you past. And that is only a component of the love that he has for you. Because Paul continues. He's gonna continue into what is the present. So we just gotta keep asking ourselves, are you believing the lie that says it's about what you do? that it's conditional love that God has for you? Are you accepting and resting in the truth that will bring restoration to your soul that is the unconditional love of God? So let's continue. Verses seven to nine, Paul begins to show us our present realities, not just someday off in the future and not just in the past, right, right here, right now with what we are facing. Verses seven to nine say this, in him, and there's that language again, in Jesus we have redemption, which means we've been freed at a cost. What is the cost? Well, he continues, he said, by his blood. So you and I were enslaved, we were imprisoned, and we have been liberated, we have been set free. This is language that God's people, the, the nation of Israel, it would have resonated so deeply knowing their story. Slaves in Egypt, redeemed by God. The cost for our ultimate redemption, our ultimate liberation to free us is the blood of Christ. So Paul says, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So at a high level, four words here that jump out to me. This redemption Forgiveness, this grace we'll look at more in a moment, he lavished upon us. And then there's this understanding. He speaks of a mystery and how God has brought understanding. And so in grouping those first two together, this redemption, 
this freedom that you and I can experience in the gospel, in him, right here, right now. I know we're not going to experience that fully in the sense like there's still things, there's sin patterns, there's things that we revert to. Like the Israelites, sometimes we long, I just want to go back to Egypt. It's the place that's familiar, but God, in his grace, he's pursuing us, loving us, reminding us of our new identity in Christ. There is this redemption, there's this freedom, there's a forgiveness. I don't know how many of you all followed uh, this uh, in your podcast listening, but if you go all the way back, I believe it was 2014, uh, the first uh, season of the Serial podcast uh, came out. Um, any followers of that? Yes, um, maybe a few of you. Okay. Um, and so I remember uh, my wife and I, like we, we binge listened to this on like our 11-hour drive um, years ago um, up to North Carolina. This had recently come out. We were driving late at night. I think we thought actually the kids were asleep until like one of the kids woke up and was like, is that non-guilty, right? Um, and so um, realized, oh shoot, they're listening to this. But anyway, um, parenting, our book comes out soon. You might want to pick up a copy. But anyway, um, but here's the story in case you don't know it. It tells the story of a, a young man named Adnan Saeed, who was 17 years old at the time living in Baltimore. This was in 1999. Um, and he was brought to trial and convicted for the murder of his girlfriend. And so as a 17-year-old, tried as an adult, uh, he was sentenced to life in prison. And for the last basically 23 years, that is where he has spent all of his days. And there's been, there are years of just silence about it. Like there's, he is, and he was found guilty, and that was the end of the story. But there were some people that brought up some things that were maybe seemed a little off in the case and whatnot. And so they, they brought it to this one woman who ends up putting this podcast together. And um, it, it wasn't that she was making a declaration and she wrestles through it. Like, I don't know, is he guilty? Is he innocent? She wrestles you know, through this, but she tells it in this very compelling way. But it brought the story back to sort of the, the forefront. Well, if you've listened to this and if you followed this, and I will admit, like I kind of got obsessed with it and my younger sister got obsessed with it and we literally would, probably not uncommon for once or twice a month to be like sending each other articles about like the latest with this, this case. But if you were following this story, you know, in the last week to 10, 10 days, all right, here he is now, as this 41-year-old man, I believe, um, he was sent home. Um, and there was enough things with the case that a judge basically said, listen, prosecution, you can either bring like file for like a, a new trial to prosecute him again. Or if you don't do that within 30 days, I'm just going to dismiss it and the, the case is closed and he will be a free man. There was so much stuff about, is, did he do it? Did he not? I'm not here to debate the merits. We can have that conversation afterwards, right? Um, my point is this. I heard that and there was this part of me that was like, oh my goodness, just thinking for a moment, like this redemption potentially, right? This like he's in prison and now he's been going to be set free. But then I also began to think, if I'm in his shoes, how is it going to, like, come on, like, right here, right now. This isn't a case that's in the past. Like, there's this 30-day window that he's in, like, right now. And so as much as he's probably celebrating, right, like, I'm home, right? I'm getting to visit with family and friends. I'm getting to not be in prison. I'm getting to eat good food. Like, all of those things, I would imagine right now, it's also in the back of his mind, what if they do bring this case? What if I am tried again? What if they actually do find that I'm guilty and now I have to go back to my life in prison? There is this like, un I just imagine there's an uncertainty that he feels. And friends, as I read this text and I compare it to that news story and it's like, oh yeah, there's this 
crazy stuff that's happening and you look at it and it's like, is he gonna be freed and all of that? And then also this uncertainty around it. What God is communicating to us when he uses this language, it is not up for debate. Like Jesus has literally been punished in our place. He's been sentenced in our place. You and I have this redemption, this forgiveness. That is where our status is right here, right now, present day. God loves you so much that Jesus came to redeem you by his blood. That was the cost that was paid. And there is no wondering or wobbling about like, you know, like, am I going to be condemned or not? If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are loved as Jesus is loved by the Father. Fully reconciled, fully redeemed, right? Like that is your reality. You've been reconciled to God. You've been redeemed. You have been forgiven. These words that we see are true now of us in Christ. Isaiah 44, 22, I blotted out your transgressions like a cloud, your sins, and your, uh, like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Micah 7, 49, or 19, um, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. This is what Jesus has done. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. That's what's happened to them if you're in Christ. There's no wondering. There's no like, "Ah, am I gonna have to go back to the place of condemnation? No, you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. Jeremiah says it this way. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. As we heard even in our time of confession and assurance this, this morning in a text we'll look at in greater detail in the weeks to come, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so with that, Paul then says, you've got redemption, forgiveness, and he says there is this grace, the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. You cannot exhaust the riches of God's grace, this abundant grace, this superabounding grace. It just keeps coming. Do you know that? It will bring restoration to your soul the more you're resting in that grace, this unmerited favor. It's not a conditional love that God has for you. It's this unconditional love because of what Christ has done, what Christ has achieved. And Paul says, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth, in Christ, he's just saying, God in his kindness toward us has made it abundantly clear. He's invited us into this life. He's made this gospel known so we might have this new life, that we might know the love that God has for us. And so from this place then, this place of understanding, we'll close with this. And we will spend more time, in fact, in this series We're going to spend an entire sermon near the end of it unpacking more of this. But just look for a moment at what Paul highlights here in verses 10 to 14. You've been loved perfectly in the past. You are loved right here, right now, amidst your brokenness, amidst my brokenness, the sin, the shame that we carry. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. And this love that God has is going to carry into the future You will never exhaust it. It will never run out. And so he says this, beginning in verse 10. So as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth, 
In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So you even see, like, there, there, is, this, there is this response. He says, you believe in him. So again, like, God's sovereignty, his election, predestination, all of those things. And he's also telling us, hey, you are the one, you, there has been this response to the grace of God. You believed in him. He says this, though, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, far more to unpack, but just three words, three phrases, lines that kind of jump out. It's going to unite all things. We have an inheritance, and there's this guarantee. We've been sealed. There's this down payment that we have through the Spirit. So friends, don't we long for that day? He's telling us, I love you so much that part of my plan is to unite all things, things in heaven, things on earth. He's literally going to restore and renew everything. We are not disembodied souls singing songs for all of eternity, right? It's new heavens and it's new earth. We will be restored and renewed physically, emotionally, socially, psychologically, vocationally, like all of it across the board. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more storms that destroy anything. Everything returned as God intended it to be for those that are in Christ, and friends, in that place, enjoying the presence of God every single moment, having this perfect awareness that you are so loved by Christ. You are enjoying this future, not because you earned anything or because God thought you were awesome and said, I gotta pick that person, right? But rather by his grace that he lavished upon us, we get to enjoy this new reality with him and with one another, if you're in Christ, forever. And it never runs out. And he says, so this is your inheritance. This is what is coming for you. An inheritance, we think about that, right? The very nature of an inheritance, you don't earn an inheritance. I'm gonna go earn a good inheritance today. No, you are given an inheritance. And the inheritance that is coming to Jesus, you and I get to be the beneficiaries of. Like we get to have that, to enjoy that. That is what we are welcomed into and then he tells us, listen, this is, this is guaranteed. You've been sealed. There's this down payment. You have the Holy Spirit, God's presence who's taken up residence in you. It's why Jesus said, it is good that I leave so that I can send the Spirit. Jesus in his flesh, he's in one place at one time, but the Spirit goes with us wherever we go. And he's saying, that is this down payment. You are sealed. It's this reminder that there is this ultimate inheritance. There's this ultimate uniting of all things. And there's this love that you are going to perfectly experience one day. And when you doubt that, be reminded of the fact that the Holy Spirit is with you. And the story you're part of is one where you and I experience right here, right now, forgiveness and grace and redemption, but in an ultimate sense, in the future forever, experiencing the love of the Father. So we'll close with this as we Continue in worship. I love the way the Apostle John writes this in 1 John 4. In this is love. He begins to describe it for us. Not that we have loved God. It's not what we have done. 
but that he loved us. He initiated and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Another big theological word, to bear the wrath of God and turn it to favor. That Jesus endured, absorbed, bore the wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and me. And then instead turned it to favor so we can experience the love of God. Beloved then, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He doesn't say, go love your neighbor and hopefully I'll love you back. It'd be so uncertain. It'd be terrible. No, he says, it's not what you have done. I have loved you. In propitiation, my son is a propitiation for your sins. You have this favor, you have this love. And now as you experience that love, go and love your neighbor. So friends, we get to do that. We get to enjoy a meal in a moment as a reminder of the love that God has for us. So as I close in prayer, I just wanna encourage you, be asking the spirit as we continue in our service, where are the places you need to repent? Where's the place where you're believing the lie that it's up to you? And then would you remember, remember the truth that you are loved in Christ. And we're gonna rejoice together. So I will pray. When I finish praying, the worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna sing a song together. During this time, if you've got elementary kids, would you go get them checked out and bring them back into the service? And then uh, at that, once they're all back in and we've sung this first song, we'll have communion together. We'll set that up in just a moment. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you love us in your son. Would you remind us of that truth, Holy Spirit, even now as we sing to you, as we enjoy this meal, as we have this time of fellowship with one another, in all of it, would it help reinforce, just drive the point home that we are loved by you. It's all by your grace. So we rest in that, restore our souls, we pray, for your glory and our joy. We pray in Christ's name, amen.